If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 6. We're going to sing more in a moment as we take communion. But we're going to jump right into John chapter 6 this morning. We've been in this series called New Life. It's a series through the Gospel of John. We're excited that you've joined us. But before we get to the Gospel of John, can I first talk about someone named Moses? A while back, I met this guy. He was pretty, I mean, he was in high school at the time. This is a while back, so he's a lot older now. But I went up, I introduced myself. Hey, I'm Joel. You don't meet a lot of Joels around. That's an Old Testament name, but every now and then you meet Joels. And he said, hey, I'm Moses. And I was like, what? <laughs> Moses? He said, yeah, that's my name. And I said, are you serious? He's like, no, like, that's enough, man. Just, yes, that's my name. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, your name's Moses. This is awesome. Because usually when we think of Moses, we think of this gray-headed, gray-bearded man holding up the Ten Commandments, right? And here was this kid in front of me named Moses. And let's go back to the Moses that was holding up the Ten Commandments for a second. Not the Moses I met, but the Moses in the Old Testament, because when you walked around the streets in first century Israel with Jesus, you would have found that Moses was quite the hero, which makes sense because Moses was the lead character really in this, the story of the Old Testament, the Exodus story. When God leads his people out of slavery, out of Egypt, Moses is right there leading the people. And not only does he lead the people out of slavery, Moses then gives them God's words. He gives them God's law. He goes up on the mountain, and and when he's before God, he comes back. He, He has such a close relationship with God that when he comes down the mountain, his face is shining. And they they have to put a veil on his face. Because Moses is so tight with God and Moses is such uh, this brilliant character from the Old Testament that when we get to the first century, everyone's looking at Moses as the hero. And Jesus addresses them in chapter five. We studied through chapter five last week and he said this, look, you're searching the scriptures because in them you think you're gonna find eternal life when in fact those scriptures They're a witness about me. He goes on to say, in fact, what Moses wrote, he wrote of me. You hear what Jesus is saying? He's making an astounding claim. Jesus is saying that all the Old Testament is pointing to him. And if that's true, it changes everything. And John, this writer of the gospel, we're going to look here in just a moment, chapter after chapter, verse after verse, he's showing us that this is true, that someone greater than Moses is on the scene. So we get to chapter six, check this out. After after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. Makes sense. Big crowd comes. They've seen Jesus do these miraculous things. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. 
And pause right there for a second because already we're picking up some references. John is painting a picture for us. He wants us to see that what, when Jesus said, Moses wrote about me, let's start seeing what he's saying here. Because if, if you know the rest of the chapter, you can kind of pick up on some of these things. First of all, you have Jesus out in the middle of the wilderness. That's where the Sea of Galilee is. It's in the middle of nowhere on the side in which they're on. And so Jesus is in the wilderness. He goes up on the mountain. When Moses led the people out of Egypt, they went into the wilderness. He went up on a mountain. And then it says that the Passover was at hand. What's the Passover? Well, Moses uh, had the people eat a meal before they left Egypt. He said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to slaughter a lamb. You're going to put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of your home so that when the angel of death comes through, when they, when, when they see the blood, they'll pass over. When you eat this meal, have your staff ready, have your belt buckled, have your sandals on because we're about to go. God's about to release us from this life of slavery. And so John points out, it's the Passover. So he's painting the picture for us. Somebody here is greater than this Moses. Verse five, lifting up his eyes, then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread? Philip is from that region. So he's like, Philip, hey, what are we gonna do? And you'll notice in verse six, he, he knows what's gonna happen. Uh, Philip makes some calculations. You know, if we had eight months' salary, then that would not be a, that would be what it would take to feed all these people. But we don't have that, Jesus. And then Andrew comes up and Andrew says, Hey, here's a boy who has five loaves of bread and two fish. And you think, Well, Andrew's getting it. Andrew's, Andrew knows Jesus can do something. But then he says, Andrew says, But what are they for so many? And then Jesus goes to work. He took the loaves, verse 11, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing be lost. They gathered them up. They filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. There's another story in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 4. It's only three verses. And if you're like me, you looked over it for the longest time. In these three verses, there's a story about the great prophet Elisha. And there's a man, it's, actually there's been a famine. A man comes with some bread and it's actually barley loaves. And the man says, here I have 20 loaves of bread. And Elisha says, great, everybody's going to eat. There's 100 people with him. Now, these barley loaves, I like how one commentator put it, they're, they're more like Twinkies. They're like little, you know, cakes of bread, just small. You know, just five loaves. For a little boy, it was five loaves and two little fish. That's what he had for his lunch that day. And, and so the man says, what do you mean? I can't feed 100 people. I'm, I'm summarizing what's said there. And Elisha says, no, God's told me this will feed all the people and we'll have some left over. And it's exactly the way in which God tells Elisha. It happens that way. Amazing. He feeds 100 people with just 20 loaves of bread. But what do we have in this story? Jesus has five loaves. And it says that there was 5,000 men, meaning there was probably upwards of 10,000 to 15,000 people 
With five loaves of bread, two little fish, Jesus feeds all those people. Now, Elisha, he was no slouch. He raised someone from the dead. But someone greater than Elisha is here too. Look at, look at um, verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. You know, when people see signs like this, it's, it's amazing. And, and it speaks to who God is. Listen, when God gives, he doesn't just give enough. He gives in abundance. I, I had... I had someone um, at my wedding give me a, a large gift, a man I hardly knew. As a wedding gift, he gives us this, this big envelope full of money. Now, it wasn't like thousands of dollars, but, but it was a lot of money for me. It was the most I'd ever been given like that. I hardly knew him, but what I did know about him was he was very wealthy. And I mean, like when I say wealthy, I mean very, very wealthy, like owned an island kind of wealthy. <laughs> And he gives me this envelope of money, and I'm astounded, like, wow, I can't believe someone gave me this much money. This is very helpful for someone just getting married. Stop there for a second, because here's a man who hardly knew who gave me a lot of money, but to be honest, it was just a drop in the bucket to him. It was hardly anything. Now, here's the God that we know that calls us his sons and daughters, and when we ask we're in much different terms because we know him intimately. And not only that, but he gives infinitely more than what any of us or even the most wealthy of us could ever give. So when we ask Jesus, don't be surprised when he gives in abundance. And sometimes when we see these things, we're in awe. Just like these people were, we're so in awe that we get caught up in that moment. And they start saying, well, this is the prophet. I think we mentioned this last week. We talked about Moses' prophecy in Deuteronomy chapter 18, where he says that there'll be another Moses who will come. He'll explain everything to you. And so they're proclaiming, we think this better Moses is here. Verse 15, we'll see how Jesus responds to that. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Is that what you expected? (laughs) <laughs> these people, uh, they, they, Jesus has filled the arena, if you will. 10 to 15,000 people are there. Let's make him king. And Jesus says, I'm going to go off to the mountain by myself. <laughs> and he says to his disciples, get in a boat and go across the sea. And to the crowd, he says, just, you're dismissed. And I think the reason Jesus does that is because an earthly king doesn't go to the cross. That's not the path that Jesus was walking down. So he sees the crowd and he says, leave. Disciples, go get in the boat. They start to cross over the sea. The the seas are rough. A storm comes up. I mean, put yourself in the disciples' shoes for a second. You're just thinking, man, ministry is amazing right now. Did you see all these people? Did you see that miracle? It couldn't get any better than the way it's going right now, right? And then Jesus says, get in the boat, and they're in the boat, and a storm comes up, of course. They're halfway across the sea, and they're going nowhere. And they've got to be thinking, what is going on? And it's interesting because in Mark chapter 6, Jesus is up on the mountain. 
don't miss this, all four gospels record this, this miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And then we have in Mark, we, we have um, another perspective on Jesus walking on water here in just a moment. And he says he sees the disciples out there struggling the whole time he's watching them. He knows exactly what's going on in their hearts too. And he goes out and starts walking on the water. Verse 19, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. They were frightened. You think? You see a man walking on the water? That's a little crazy. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Literally, in the original language, I am, stop fearing. Then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Did you read that? And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. I mean, if he can walk on water, he can get the boat over to the other side of the land, no problem. I mean, if someone can do that, he can do anything. If someone created the world, then he could surely walk on water too. This is kind of hard for us to, to take in, but this is what John says happens. They're, the disciples are terrified and Jesus shows up and he walks across the water, meets them, they get to the other side of the land. Do you get what's happening here? Do you see what John is painting for us here? There's someone greater who's shown up. There's a greater, this isn't just, oh, this is someone like Moses or this is someone like Elisha. This is someone so much greater than Moses or so much greater than Elisha. And he's here. The crowd, they haven't given up on Jesus. They, look at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Like, how did you get here? Verse 26, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. In verse 14, it says that they saw the signs and that's when they called out, this is the prophet. And Jesus says, no, you saw the signs and yeah, you were trying to make a big deal out of it. You were trying to make me king, but what you were really excited about was the fact that you got fed, was, back, was the fact about, that you saw something spectacular. And he says this, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Listen to what Jesus says. This is the work of God that you believe in him and whom he has sent. Believe in me, Jesus says. Uh, now, look what the crowd does next. So they said to him, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Yeah, Jesus, we saw you, change, you know, take a happy meal and feed 10,000 people, but what else can you show us? <laughs> right? Isn't that like, what? I mean, after all, you know, Moses in the wilderness, he didn't just feed us one meal. He fed us night after night. Now look what, what Jesus says. This is when you know he's about to go off. Truly, truly. <laughs> <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. 
It was not Moses, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Remember the Samaritan woman? Sir, give me that water. Jesus said to them, I don't know if you're ready. Because look at what he says next. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me will not thirst. Earlier this week, I had a moment. I had gotten home from work. I had this routine because I have a really bad memory where when I get home from work, I take my wallet out of my pocket, and as I walk in, there's a little shelf at my house, and I put my wallet on the shelf. So I walk in that day, I reach in my pocket, no wallet. And you know, you have that moment where you kind of freak out, you look around, I went back to the car, I'm searching around, no wallet. Oh, great. I must have left it at, at the office. I work here at the church during the week, and I had been at the office before I had come home. I said, it's got to be there. I'll just, I'll deal with it later. Right now, you know, I get home, kids are there. I'm trying to uh, help with dinner. We get our kids to bed. After we get our kids to bed, I, 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 I'm thinking, I need to put my eyes on my wallet, right? <laughs> That's important stuff in there. And so I say to my wife, I say, hey, I'm going to run up to my office. I'm going to see if my wallet's there. I'm looking around in my office. Uh, I'm thinking I'm going to walk in, and it's going to be sitting on my desk, and it's not there. So I'm starting to freak out a little bit. I'm thinking, man, this is important stuff in here. And I get down on my hands and knees. You know, you start getting a little desperate. I'm looking under furniture. I'm looking in the trash can. Right? You know when you've lost something. Maybe lost a phone. You know, you're looking around, you're looking everywhere, you're desperate. And I start thinking about the time and the energy, right? You know, I'm going to have to cancel credit cards. I'm going to have to replace credit cards. I'm going to have to get a new medical insurance card. What, is, what do you even do to get one of those, right? Uh, I, a driver's license, all those. I had cash. I actually had cash in my wallet. Oh, my goodness. And I start retracing my steps. I'm really like in my heart, it's, it's like hurting me. I'm mad, I'm angry. And then this wave of truth just rushes over me right before I find my wallet. But I'm still in that moment. The wave of truth hits me because we've been talking about this passage all week. And we had looked at another scripture in Deuteronomy that Jesus quotes that says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And Jesus convicted my heart and soul in that moment and said, that's your bread. The time, the energy, the money that was all wrapped up in the symbol of that wallet, that's so often what I live off of and what I work for and what can become my identity. Jesus said, that's your bread. And he's saying here in this passage, if you're satisfied by anything else but me, it will perish. If you woke up this morning, here's here's what the question I've been asking myself all week, and it's been wrecking me, so I'll let it wreck you. Because if the implications of what John is saying is true, if if this truly is, as John says, 
the word. Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And that through him, all the world was created. If all of that's true and John is documenting his life for us to show us who this Jesus is, if all that is true, then what are the implications? Well, Jesus says them here. He says, you have to eat this bread. I'm the bread of life. So I started asking this question, do I wake, did I wake up this morning craving my breakfast more than I crave God himself? Did you wake up this morning craving you know, something to eat more than you crave for God? What was your first thought this morning? Because he is the only thing that will satisfy you. I'm just going to pause for a moment. I'm going to pray with you before we keep moving through this thought. Heavenly Father, you have shown us that you're the bread of life. Now can you help us desire you more than anything else? Will you help us truly latch on to the fact that you're greater than anything else and we're more needful of you than anything else. And it's in your name I pray, amen. That's the question. And if you prayed along with Joel that prayer um, for God to be your hunger, I have good news for you. In this announcement that Jesus is the bread of life, there is an offer made to everyone to come and be satisfied, to come and eat. It's interesting that he starts pretty, pretty safe here, right? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Well, they had just been fed. So the logical conclusion for the people is this. Well, if we follow this dude, we're going to get free bread every day. He'll just keep producing bread. He says again, verse 41, I am the bread of life. Or, or they grumble because he says it. He says, don't grumble. Nobody can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Verse 47, I like what Joel said. This is how you know Jesus is about to go off when he says, truly, truly. I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. He, he keeps saying, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. They died. He's pressing into that idea that they're looking for just the bread, the actual physical bread. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die.
I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. I don't know if you notice this or not, but between verse 36 and verse 51, four or five times this idea of eternal life is mentioned. Everyone that looks on the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life in verse 40. Verse 47, whoever believes has eternal life. Uh, your fathers ate the manna and they died. If you eat this bread, you will not die. You will live forever. Jesus is repeating over and over again the purpose John says he wrote his book for. So that you would see and believe that Jesus is the Messiah and have eternal life. And Jesus is just driving that home. So pretty safe so far. I'm the bread of life. I am the living bread, verse 51. It's about to get ramped up. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Wait, what? Now, this is happening in a synagogue, so it's basically a church service. The bread I will give for the world is my flesh. And you can just imagine in the synagogue, they're leaning over. Hey, did he just say, like his flesh is bread? He didn't just, did he just say that? Verse 52. This is how we know that's what happened, Right? Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? What? Was this some kind of crazy cannibal zombie Jesus? What? So then Jesus takes it even further. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless... You eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood. You have no life in you. What? Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. You want to live forever? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. What? What? I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Verse 56, if it's not bad enough, he says it again. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. What? The disciples. Verse 60 says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. 
<laughs> yeah. And it says many left him. So think about what's happened just in this short span. Massive stadium full of people. Jesus has gone up on the mountain to get away from them, sent his disciples away from them. He can't get away from them. They follow him back. And then he says this. You got to eat my flesh, drink my blood, and they go, we're done. I, I can't. This is insane. Because he's in the synagogue. Notice, verse 50, Jesus said these things in the synagogue. If you read Old Testament law in Leviticus, the, the, the whole idea of drinking blood is forbidden. They had kosher dietary laws and rules so that even before you could eat an animal, all the blood had to be drained from it. So Jesus, what is he saying? When they hear it, they're like, we can't follow this guy. And if you're new to the whole idea of Christianity, and this is your, maybe this, this might be the first time in, in a church, we, we've had that happen before. This is the first time in a church for you. You're hearing this and you're going, this is nuts. I was coming to church and I walked in on a Walking Dead episode. What is he saying? He, he's, he's saying, unless... You eat my flesh and drink my blood. You, you, you won't have life. You won't have eternal life. Boy, what does that mean? I, there, there's an Old Testament passage that I think will help us. 2 Samuel 23. I want you to look at it real quick. There's, a, there's this scene, 2 Samuel. David is hiding. He's on the run. David, who is the ancestor of Jesus, the greatest king Israel had known. And David's hiding, and he's, and he's homesick. And 23, verse 15, he says longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Verse 16, then... The three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, which was, that's kind of crazy when you think about it, and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. But he would not drink it. He poured it out. What? The Bible's got some crazy stuff. He... And he said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Watch this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at risk of their lives? Wait, what, is it, what does that mean? This is what David is saying. I, it, the equivalent, these men put their lives on the line for me to have a drink of water. Here's the, it would be wrong for me to profit from their risk, it would be the equivalent of me, a good Jewish boy, drinking blood. I'm not going to profit by their risk. 
I'm not going to drink the blood of the men who risk their lives. Now let's go back to John. And hear what Jesus is saying here. You want eternal life. You want bread that's never going to, ever going to fade. You want to profit from me. Then listen, you got to drink. You can't do like David and pour it out. You have to accept not just the risk that I'm going to take, Look at what he says in verse 51. I am the living bread. I came down from heaven. I am a manna. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread I give for the life of the world is my flesh. If you're going to benefit, if you're going to profit, you got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. It's what Jesus is saying. It's what Joel has alluded to is that it's the strongest language in the world you can use for believing. Jesus is saying, I want you to profit from my death. I'm not just going to risk it. I'm going to lay it down. And that offer lies before us. What are you, you going to do with Jesus? It's, it's not some crazy cult cannibal thing. It is Jesus saying, in order for you to eat my flesh and drink my blood, I've got to die. And I'm going to willingly lay down my life for the world. And people hear it and they're confused and they decide to walk off. And verse 66, after this, many disciples turned their back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to get well? I'm sorry, not do you want to get well. Do you want to go away as well? He looks at the 12 and goes, you guys leaving too? Peter. And he has these moments of great clarity. He says, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know you are the Holy One of God. Jesus makes these promises in these verses and as crazy as it sounds about him being the bread and us having to eat his flesh and drink his blood, he says, if you do this, you will abide with me and I will abide with you. We will be with God. Joel already alluded to it where Jesus, Jesus said, the whole Old Testament was written about me. Everything that is wrong with the world came undone in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve had a really bad meal. They ate fruit they weren't supposed to eat. And we weren't able to abide in the presence of God anymore. And Jesus is saying, if you'll eat this meal, you can abide forever. 
and abide just means this. It means to depend on Jesus in a way that we can say he is the all-satisfying desire of my soul so that even if I lose everything and only have Jesus, it is enough. I don't need actual food and water if I have Jesus. He is enough. We get to abide with him in his presence forever. So the offer today is that. Would you, would you take that meal? Would you come to Jesus as living bread and living water and eat and drink and be satisfied so that when the things of the world begin to fade, you'll still have enough.